On today's podcast, we are going to be talking about how GPs can maximize the efficiency in running their business and improve the care that they provide to their patients whilst also making their businesses more sustainable and more profitable. So we're going to be talking about in-year reporting and what it is and the benefit of preparing management accounts and how this can help a GP practice or indeed any business to make better financial decisions and maybe even reduce the tax liabilities that they have. We also have a bit of a podcast first because we have some live guests and these live guests are GP partners who are on our new to GP partnership course which teaches new GP partners everything that they need to know but haven't been taught yet about how to run a successful GP practice and the great thing about having some live guests is that they ask some really good questions far better than the questions that I normally ask so I hope that you enjoy this variation on a format and if you are a new GP partner and you want to come on our new GP partnership course then all you need to do to apply is head to medicsmoney.co.uk forward slash GP course and I've dropped the link to that in the show notes. Welcome to the Medics Money podcast. My name is Dr. Tommy Perkins and I'm a GP. And my name is Dr. Ed Cantelo, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor. And yes, you did hear that right. Not only is Ed a doctor, he's also a chartered accountant and a tax advisor. Medics Money empowers doctors and other professionals like you to make better financial decisions. As ever, this podcast is for entertainment only and does not represent any form of financial, legal or accounting advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. So on today's podcast, I'm delighted to welcome Nick Stevenson from More and Smalley. Hi, Nick. Hi, Tommy. Good to be here. Yeah. So this is your podcast debut. Thank you for joining us. And do you want to just tell the Medics Money podcast listeners a bit about yourself and why you're qualified to talk about today's fairly complex topic? Yeah, sure. So I'm um, a chartered accountant. I qualified in 1994. I've basically been working in the care sector ever since. So I've got over 25 years worth of experience working for, for doctors and particularly GPs, which is sort of today's topic I know. I work for Moore & Smalley, who are a firm of chartered accountants, but we do specialise in, in the medical sector. Uh, we have over 120 practices that we act for, over a thousand individual healthcare clients. That's all our, all, all our team does uh, from day to day is work with medical clients. So because of the complexities involved with the, the continuing changes in regulations and so on and how that interacts with legislation, it's important to have that specialism, I think, to be able to be part of your team, really, and try, try and help and be as proactive as possible to uh, maximise your, your positions, your, your take-home pay and minimise um, liabilities where, where possible. We're very grateful for the support that um, more and smaller give Medics Money. Uh, there's a few firsts happening today. So this is the first time we've ever done a podcast with a live audience. And hopefully we're going to hear from some of that live audience if they have any questions. And the other thing which is amazing to me is that it's 12 days before the filing deadline. And Nick looks remarkably calm and collected. So well done, Nick. No. Not much hair left, but apart from that, yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> shall we just get started? Sure. Okay, so I think um, there are a few there are a few topics to talk through today, and I think the, the most important thing is is the fact of of, of finance and and how important it is to be aware of it. I know that as as medics, 
it's not the top priority. You know, you're there to do the clinical work, but being aware and involved in the financial aspects of, of running a practice and running the business is really important. It, it is a must. You have to do it. There's annual compliance purposes for doing um, accounting. Firstly, you, you have to keep the books. You have to keep the books for your own purposes. You need to know how much money you've earned, um, how much you've been paid, and therefore what the position is in terms of your overall investment in the business. But also you have to do it for legislation purposes. So HMRC require you to tell them how much profit you've earned and therefore how much tax you've got to pay. Um, NHS pensions, you need to tell them what your pensionable pay position is uh, so they can work out how much contributions you need to to make. Um, You also need the information in order to do the publication of earnings information and put that in. However, that's going to materialise in the in the next few months, we'll, we'll wait and see. Um, and then also uh, potentially for, for lenders. Um, so if you've got, uh, if you're remortgaging at home, you might need some, some personal information. So you need to go back to your, your accounting records from the practice, or it may be that the practice itself is looking to borrow money and the banks will require some information from you. So it's really important to have that at your fingertips and that information is, is there uh, and accessible. Because it is a necessity, that's one reason for doing it. Also, further down the line, we've now got making tax digital or MTD, as it's commonly known, is, is coming around the corner. So uh, that is a government requirement that uh, taxpayers, whether that is sole traders, partnerships or landlords, if you have income that is above £10,000 in terms of gross income, then you have to adopt this process. Um, The process basically says that you must keep digital records and use third-party software to submit that information to HMRC. You have to do it on a quarterly basis and then also provide an annual summary at the end of the year. This is something that has been in place for a number of years. So since April 2019, um, VAT registered businesses have had to uh, apply this MTD process. So that will be dispensing practices who will be well aware of it and also any other business which has taxable, vatable turnover above the VAT threshold of £85,000. So that might be medical legal work or, or other things that are vatable. So they've been applying this for a couple of years. You're going to have to do it from April 24. So it's really important to be thinking about this now, um, getting on board with it and putting processes in place that will help you to, to, to manage that, that process. So that has to be done. Ways of doing that tend at the moment to be using the cloud-based accounting packages. So um, the dispensing practices that we work with have been using this, as I say, for a couple of years, and they've really found the advantages to to this. It's not been a case of, oh, we've got to do it. Yes, that that is the case, but you're able to use it in a much more um, efficient way and produce information because you have to do this annually. For compliance purposes, why not use that information to help you manage the business? Let's run it in a better way. Use it for in-year reporting and making some strategic decisions. The, the common um, packages at the moment that are used uh, for cloud-based packages will be QuickBooks Online, Zero. They're the two that are most commonly used, I think, by GP practices. Uh, Sage also has one and Irish has a, a similar sort of fix that, that works with it. Um, These are are hosted in the cloud. They are real-time. They provide real-time information. There's a link directly to the uh, bank. 
So information that hits the bank account goes directly into your accounting software. So it's updated real time for you. It learns very quickly. It's very intuitive. It's very easy to use. Uh, if it if it sees you post something in one month to a particular accounting code, it will recognize that the next month and suggest that it goes to that same code. So that helps you. It makes it more efficient, more time time efficient for you. You don't have to think about typing information in. It's it's in there for you. It will be consistent as well. So it's always going to the same code and it's accurate in terms of the numbers. So you're taking away some of that human error, making the reporting side of things much more accurate for you. You can also allow authorised access at basically at any time and from anywhere. So it doesn't have to be a desktop computer-based system. It can be on a desktop, but it can be on your laptop. It can be on your tablet. It can even be on your mobile phone while you're sitting on the beach if you so desire to look at the what your um, profit is for that particular day. But you can have access anywhere at any time, which is, which is fantastic. It also means that your accountant can have that same access. So if you've got a query or question, the accountant can look at it at the same time as you, you can, and you can make adjustments or do training or update the information in real time, which is obviously a great advantage. And also it allows you to produce reports in, in a year, which is probably uh, one of the most um, important things in terms of uh, improving the, the management of your business going forward. So they, they're, the, they're the, the, the initial things to think about. When you are looking at your accounts, what you're wanting to do is to benchmark, really, isn't it? Is to look at how you've done compared to previous years, previous periods, or to other businesses, similar businesses, to see where you're doing really well or where potentially you could make improvements to do things even better. Just to give you a, uh, a quick uh, summary of some of the, the benchmarking reports that you can do, you can see this if I share my screen now. Okay, um, so this is um, a, a bit of a snapshot and uh, some of the sort of reporting that you can do. Really, this is based on the uh, sort of the annual accounts that you get, which is fine, but it is an historic position. So that's always the starting point for looking at the business. You, you've got information, but it's based on what's happened in the past, but it's, a, it's still a good starting point. And effectively, what you can do is you can look at the makeup of the practice. So you take the number of partners that you've got in your practice, the number of patients that are on the list, you're working out then um, how many patients per GP partner that you've got, but also now build in other GPs that you've got working for you. So that might be the salary GPs or even locums um, to build in. So you've got a, a footprint of what the, the practice looks like in terms of list size and patients per, per GP. You can then use that information to analyze all of the, uh, the, the, the different income and expenditure that happens in the accounts. And you can do this in, in a number of ways. You can do it in, in tabular format. You can do it, in, as we've got here, in, in colourful pie charts or bar graphs, just to break up the sort of monotony of an accounting meeting where you're just looking at figures. Um, so this can sometimes help just to highlight where the different sources of income are coming from compared to averages. Or in terms of, uh, in terms of the numbers, you can drill this down so that you're looking at each of the different income sources, so global sum, um, enhanced services, the QOF, et cetera, in terms of per patient, what you're getting in terms of income, then in terms of the expenses per patient, and therefore the net profit that you're making. Compare that to previous years, 
compare that to other businesses as well in, in the sector. So that could be nationally, it could be locally, just to see if there's any specific areas where you're doing really well, which is great, areas where you're perhaps doing a bit a bit less well, so a bit weaker, but you might be able to concentrate on those. So it's giving you information to make some strategic decisions about where the practice should go to. Then not only in terms of per patient, but you can look at it in terms of per full-time equivalent partner. Um, and just to see where you stand in terms of that from previous years and also, again, to compare you to practice, other practices and the averages. And again, just breaking it down even further, you can look at expenses. And again, that breakdown of the different main sources of expenses per patient wise. So spending what you're spending per patient and how that compares to other practices, but with comments and narrative as well, so that you can understand maybe the reasons why. Uh, there are differences compared to others. Uh, and one of the important ones is in, is in terms of staff costs, um, what you're paying for each element of your, your staffing, so practice, clinical, GPs, and so on. So that's a, a sort of a starting point in terms of uh, looking at the business and providing you with some management information to then make some decisions along the way. Um, but as I say, that is kind of a, from an historical point of view. What we really need to do now is to move that forward and think about how you can use the information that you're producing every day, every month, every quarter in terms of an in-year management report. So you can make some sensible decisions before you get to the year end. So thinking of the practices as a business, we know now that income uh, is, is starting to be generated from multiple sources. It's not always been the case in the past. Um, it's, it's been a fairly static position. It's been a good profession. You've been relatively well paid, but there's been very little that you could do about the control of that. You got paid a certain amount for the services that you provided. There are costs associated with that and you end up with a profit. Um, over the last few years, that started to change quite a bit. And, and certainly in the last couple of years with the introduction of the primary care networks and recently, obviously, with the pandemic and all of the COVID vaccination money that's been coming through. Um, that has been coming through at different times and at different amounts. So it's really important that you plan for any extra income and extra profit that, that is being generated by those sources. Because if you're making extra profit, you know, that that's fantastic. You're getting extra take-home pay. But at the same time, if you don't know about that until after the end of the year, you're stuck with it. You're going to be paying the extra tax. You're going to be paying the extra pension contributions on that, that profit. Whereas if you know partway through the year that, oh, we're going to make an extra, you know, an extra amount of profit this year, do we want to take that out as extra take-home pay for ourselves because, you know, as fair reward for the extra work that we've done? Or are we better to use that extra profit to resource the business in a better way? So thinking about maybe additional staffing, if you can find staff, that is obviously to, to bring extra staff in to help with the sort of workload and that work-life balance. Um, is there extra equipment that the, the business might need? Do you need to do some work on the repairs or the fabric of the building? Or do you have you know, some projects that you want to start to, to look at and, and build in? So thinking if you've got that information in year at say six months or nine months through the year then you've got a bit of time before the year end to make that decision do you want to use it efficiently for the business or do you want to have it as profit take it out but suffer the, the tax and the pension contributions on that having that information obviously vitally important for making those decisions 
So when we are thinking of that, there are um, a number of things. Once you've got your your sort of cloud-based, your accounting software set up, um, that information is readily available to you. So you can pull that out. And if I go here and show you some of the, the information that you can get from a cloud-based accounting package. And so we'll go through a few steps here. The first one is basically a very quick summary of the historical position. So we're looking at, at one year compared to the previous year. This information is all done. You've got all of these accounts set up, all the different income and expense headings. All this information goes into the package and then you can pull it out by a simple click of a button in, 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 the, uh, in the package and it will produce this report for you. And it will show the change in terms of a numeric figure. You can also bring it up as a percentage as well. What all we've done here is we've added in some colors to show uh, green for that looks good, red for that doesn't look so good. And then um, a bit of a narrative to try to explain the ups and downs so that you've got that information available to you. You can um, see from on an annual basis what that means in terms of your strategic decisions that you've made through the year and how that has all played out. And that gives you the profit for the year, which is fine. But the more important bit really is in terms of that in-year reporting. So here what we've done is pull out a quarterly profit and loss account. So it gives us what's actually happened for the first nine months. So the first nine months split into quarters, first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, giving us a total for that nine months. Using this, you can obviously assess what's happened in each quarter. You can do this monthly as well, which will help to identify trends. So if it spots, you've missed a, a claim in one month or one quarter, it's easily identifiable. And then you can go back to the relevant sources and try to reclaim that money. Um, but if we're looking in advance and trying to project forward, we've got the actual position for the nine months. We can then project forward for that final quarter and, and make any adjustments in terms of timing issues that we know about, debtors, creditors, and so on. And then that will give us a total projected figure that we're expecting by the year end. So coming down all the different income sources, all the different expense headings, and we end up with a total profit figure at the end that we're expecting by year end. So if we then factor that into what it means for each partner, you can do that basically by looking at uh, a spreadsheet format. You build in what the total profit was, allocate that between the partners in terms of their profit shares, deduct from it all the drawings that are going to be taken on account of those profits through the year. And it will leave a balance at the end, which is available then as potentially additional drawings. So those uh, additional drawings, you can then say, that's great. We are very happy with that. That additional profit is fantastic. We will happily take that home with us. Or you can say, actually, that extra £100,000 of profit would be better used by us having an additional GP or paying the staff a little bit more money or having better equipment or repairing um, the windows or whatever it might be in, in the surgery building. But you can make those decisions. Um, and when you know the amount, you can then look at uh, calculations like this one on the screen here, where we're saying we've got an additional amount of money, so maybe £75,000. We're thinking of employing an additional salaried GP for, say, six sessions at 9500 a session, add on the on-cost elements for the, the pension and the NI, and we end up with a, a gross cost to the practice, which is going to cost us, in this instance, about 
thousand pounds when you may think actually gosh that's a that's a, an awful lot of money it's going to hit our pockets i'm not sure we can really afford to do that investment um, but if you take it a step forward and think about what that means in terms of your take-home pay your net position from that gross you're going to get tax deductions and pension relief on that as well it's going to reduce your profit by an amount that's going to reduce the contributions and the liabilities that you have so if you work out the pension liabilities on the individual's share of the cost and then also the tax position you can end up with what it's going to cost you on an annual basis from a, a net take-home pay position so instead of thinking it as you know oh, 73,000 that's a lot of money my share of it is 7,000 11,000 whatever actually the annual net cost to me is £3,000 or £5,000. So monthly, we're looking at £250, £400 a month. Is that a better way of using that money than me having that in my pocket? Am I better off with uh, the, the work-life balance being improved, the working conditions being improved? So it gives you information to make a sensible decision. There's also other ways of using this sort of calculation. So if you're thinking of making staff bonuses, staff extra pay, you can build that in. And again, work out what that means in terms of your net annual position. Um, so there was always that tax and pension uh, liability to take account of, not just the gross position. Um, going back to, uh, to this position. So you've got a forecast for, for that current year. Um, what you can then do is um, advance that even further forward. So we can look at a projection that says this was the profit from the previous year. This is what we think is going to happen for, through this, this following year. We're going to have some extra income coming in. We have some extra expenses because we're having additional staff costs coming through. So that gives us an overall profit figure, which we can then again build into that same calculation. So we've now got a projected profit based on what we anticipate for the following year. That will give us profits for each of the partner, again, calculating through the drawings that are going to be made in terms of pension tax liabilities, which will give us an overall position in terms of what's then available to take out as, as drawings. So we're not leaving money in the practice, not doing anything. We're maximising the amount that's available to take out for, for the partners. And all of that is just providing you with information that's there. It's there in your accounting information. So you have to do it for compliance purposes, as we've said before, but it's really valuable and useful information. So use it to your advantage rather than simply for compliance purposes. Um, and these, these systems are, are really uh, the way forward and, and uh, how bus other businesses are, are managing, managing their, their way forward. Wow. That was an amazing summary of, you know, how to, drive profitability and take control of your business. And um, the first couple of sessions on the course, we went through in detail how to look at the accounts in detail about income streams. So hopefully that was useful to people. So uh, I really want to get into some questions because I know there will be loads, but just a really high level summary, just to check that I've understood it correctly. So basically, Profit is income minus expenditure, and you can increase your income, decrease your expenditure, uh, and that will increase the profit. 
and your accounts already have all of this information in them. And the benchmarking is something which I think is really underrated because, as you said, you can look at previous years and work out why, you know, so when I joined my practice, I gave the example, we had a big cleaning bill, which stood out uh, as a one-off. And I said, what's going on? And of course it was COVID cleaning. So that's explained. And so you can just get into that level of detail and you can also benchmark against other practices if your accountant has the data. And that could be really useful to see where you're strong and where you're not strong. And if you're in the course, I posted a video to the community recently just talking about how to use SWOT. Uh, so strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats to try to work out where to start because it can be a bit overwhelming. But what you're saying now is that this in-year thing means that instead of sitting down at your accounts meeting at the end of the year and getting a surprise about how much you made, you can forecast it in-year. And that gives you loads of advantages because you can deploy that capital much more effectively. Have I got that correctly? And I would love some questions from the community because I know there will be some. Yeah, absolutely, Tommy. Tommy, yeah, you, you summarized that perfectly. Absolutely. It's about having the knowledge and information to make decisions uh, rather yeah. than... Yeah, that historical position of you know six months after the year end, it's it's still a useful benchmark that you can use going forward, but it's it's really too late to have done anything for the previous 18 months. So yeah, in year is, is the important bit. Yeah, I've got a list of about 20 questions I want to ask, but this isn't <laughs> I want to get into the questions from the community because I think they're going to help everyone. So first question, this is a great question. Uh so that was really helpful. Thank you. It looks like benchmarking will be incredibly helpful. Is that something the cloud-based software does automatically or is that something the practice accountant would calculate? Great question. Yeah, it's a good really good question. At the moment, no, the um the the, uh, the packages will provide you with information that you can use on your own business and compare to what's happened in previous periods, but it won't give you the benchmarking of other businesses. So that is something that the uh, your accountant would, would need to do for you. And if you use um, an ASMA accountant, that's the Specialist Medical Accountants Organisation, they act for over 50% of GPs. So there's a big pool of information there that's available for, for you to, to, to do that benchmarking with. Yeah, I think that's just a massive reason to use a specialist medical accountant there because a non-specialist who only has, you know, five GP clients, their benchmarking data is not going to be anywhere near as good as yours, which has got thousands. So, yeah. Okay, awesome. Uh, if there's any more questions from the community, go for it. Don't be shy. There's only about 20,000 people a month listening to this. So it's just like me, you and Nick having a chat. Yeah, over coffee. <laughs> over coffee, yes. I've got... A, Mine's gone a bit cold, actually, because I was so engrossed in the in what you were saying. All right. So we've got another question. So I've started reading GP Business Magazine, which is really helpful guidance for looking at practice income. Is there anything else out there that can help? Well, first thing, Medics Money Partnership course. Of course, you've got to say that. But uh, you know, good sources of information for partners that are looking to educate themselves about this. Maybe they're not on our course. What, what have you got for them, Nick? Yeah, I think if you go to um, any of the sort of specialist medical accountants websites, that I know that ours particularly, we we have regular blogs that are are on the site that are available for people to to read and get more information from. There are the the, the medical press as well, the financial press, which will produce uh, information as well. So that there is there are plenty of there's plenty of information out there if you if you Google the right places. Start with uh, more and smallly website, and obviously uh, Medics Money. 
Definitely start with the Medics Money website and the Morris Morley website. Uh, no, Morris Morley's website is great. We also just published an article on GP Online about the 1920 annual allowance compensation scheme. That deadline is coming up. So if you're listening to this and that is mystery to you, please look into it because the deadline for GPs, so the scheme pays deadline is 31st of March 2022, right? But for GPs who have to deal with PCSE, let's not talk about PCSE today because I'm having a good day. Uh, but the deadline to get the paperwork to PCSE is the 11th of February. Is that right, Nick? That's right. In in terms of the um, the compensation, yeah, the nineteen twenty year, yes, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so if you're imagine your GP listening to this and you're sat there and you know you've got analysis paralysis because the accounts have got like ten line, ten pages of lines and lines of things. Give us some big wins in your experience where it will be a good place for someone to start investigating. You know how to make progress and drive things forward. I think that the, the the benchmarking is is the key thing. You, you look at um, your uh, income, your expenses per patient for each of the different account codes that you've got, um, and benchmark those against previous years, because then you can see where something's gone gone astray. Uh, you may have missed a claim. That's uh, quite a common occurrence. You can look at percentages of profit, so you can put different sources of income into into a class uh, and then you can see the income that you're generating from from that particular contract against the expenditure that you're incurring on that so you can get a a profit position that's important because there may be times where there is a service that is offered you think oh yes we must take that up you look at the income yeah it looks good but then you work down and you look at how much it's going to cost you in terms of your staffing or equipment and, and other resources and actually, you're going to be making a loss on that particular service. So it's one to maybe think about swerving. Can we just get into the mechanics of that? Because what you just said sounded really simple, but I see so many practices where a new service comes out and they just do it and they don't run any numbers. And again, I posted a video about this. About um, So we have a hematology locally enhanced service, which uh, means we can monitor uh, MGUS and CLL patients in the community. And I broke down how I worked out whether or not it made sense financially. And I see so many practices, like I said, who just sign up for everything, work themselves into the bone. And if you actually look in the numbers of some of these enhanced services, they just don't work out. So can you just break down for us how you would approach it? Say, yeah, an enhanced service, you've got to cost it up. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's again about sort of management accounting. Um, You you know what income you're going to get for, for each uh, service that you provide so that's the that's the, the top line you then need to work out the the bottom line position the, all the expenses related to that so it may be a straightforward one that there are additional costs that you're going to incur which are direct costs to that service so you've got to employ somebody else you've got to pay somebody some additional hours so you can know exactly what the cost of that is it may be that there are, there is um, equipment that's needed it may be drugs that's needed so you'll know those costs But then there's also the overhead that's related to providing that service. Because as a business, you you have a set amount of expenditure that you have to incur on the property. You have to repair it, there's heat and light costs and so on. So all of that is an annual cost. You can then break that down in terms of an hourly rate of of that expenditure. And you can apply that then to that that income stream. And you'll end up with um, a, a total 
cost and therefore a total profit that you're making on that. And you can decide whether that's doable or not. That's in terms of the black and white numbers. That's not always the be all and end all because um, sometimes those services will be expected by your patients. And if you're not providing them, it may be a reason for them to look elsewhere um, and then you know take their business to, to a, a different practice. So it's not always about the black and white, but if you've got the black and white information, then you've got a, a place to start making a decision from. I'm so glad you mentioned that because it's one of the most fascinating things to me about managing a GP practice is that, for example, um, I mentioned the hematology locally enhanced service that works out profitable for us and it's a great service for our patients, but our uh, extended hours, it, it doesn't make us any money. It doesn't make us a loss, but for our patients, it's an invaluable service. If I was a working patient and I could go and see my GP before work, after work, that would be invaluable to me. So Although it makes no money for us as a practice, we offer choose to offer that service because it's a benefit for our patients and maybe it helps with retaining our patients or attracting new ones. But that is one of the most fascinating things about being a GP for me because you're managing the clinical side and the business side. And I just find that fascinating and rewarding. Okay, we've got a couple of questions, but uh, Aruni is going to jump in. So we, at our practice accounts, we have a junior end. So we've not long had our accounts and been through it. And I was trying to follow it. But um, in a similar way, how you said, when you can project your profit and trying to put some aside um, for buildings, etc. But then do you have to have quotes to show that? Because you can't presumably park money indefinitely with no plan. How does it, how is it then made okay? That? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You're very absolutely right. Um, so the, the importance of having the information in the year is that you can make some decisions and put some action in place before the year end so that you are then adjusting the profit accordingly. To be able to do that, uh, you have to have either spent the money um, by the year end or have it actually contractually confirmed that you're going to spend that money. Um, then you can bring it in a, as a creditor, as an accrual in the accounts, and that will um, act in the same way as having spent it at, at the year end. Um, if it's just something that you're thinking about doing, unfortunately, there's no way of deferring the, the profit on that. It's the profit that you've made this year, but then you'll make a, a loss potentially, you know, a lower profit the year after. Um, and so there's a cash flow implication and a timing issue on when the tax hits. Okay. Yeah, well, thank you. Great question. Yeah. If anyone else wants to jump in on a voice question, that is more than welcome. We love to hear your voices. Uh, there's another couple of questions in the chat. Uh, <laughs> this was a tricky one. So we don't use a specialist medical accountant yet. How do I sell this to other partners who worries that it costs more than a non-specialist accountant? Nick? Uh, well, I, I, hopefully we've sort of tried to explain that really with um, the, the talk today. Um, it's basically about providing you with information that is going to help boost your the profits and uh, the running of the business so that that uh, will equate to more than the additional costs of using uh, using an expert. A, a non-expert is, is fine if all you're looking to do is, is know what your tax bill is and, and your pension liabilities. But if you're wanting to, to run the business, make it more efficient, increase profitability, um, you know, don't don't run to stand still. Don't do the same things that, and, and expect a different result. You need to be thinking about it as a, as a business and um, you know acting accordingly. 
Yeah, I think you've underplayed it a bit there because, you know, GP is such a niche industry. It's got so many pitfalls that you can fall into and things which non-specialists just aren't aware of. And, and that's not a criticism of non-specialists. It's more a criticism of just how complex things like the NHS pension and everything PCN accounting has become. And yeah, if you just want someone to file your self-assessment at the end of the year and give you nothing more than that, I mean, do it yourself. Yeah. But if you actually want someone to help drive your business forward, work with you and say, look, you know, at our practice meeting accountants, uh, you know, they give us things and they'd be like, look, you're, you're underperforming in this area. Have you thought about doing this? You know, that, that information is invaluable. So yeah, I don't know how you persuade your other colleagues, uh, but uh, maybe uh, let them listen to this and see what they think. Okay, uh, there's loads of questions coming in. Are we all right to carry on, Nick? So, all right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's fine. Cool. So next question, the spreadsheet you showed where you can input costs of a new salary GP and calculate the impacts on profits, et cetera, look great. Uh, I agree. Uh, everyone needs one of those and it's easy to make. Is that something we should be asking our practice accountant for? It would be so helpful to have this accurate information when making decisions about staffing. Great question, that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. As you said, Tommy, it, they're fairly straightforward to build. It's, it's not a complicated um, calculation that's, that's needed. So your accountant will certainly be able to do that quickly. And actually, you know, if you've got somebody in your finance team, you know, they should be able to set up a spreadsheet that would be able to do that fairly quickly as well. Yeah, absolutely. Josh, I'm happy to share that with you. If you jump in the community and message me, uh, I build spreadsheets. I say I build spreadsheets all the time. Ed builds them for me and then I use them. Uh, so just another reason to hang out with accountants more. Okay, great. Another great question. I'm going to be the finance lead when the senior partner retires in the summer. Help. Should I aim to have a very close relationship with the practice accountant to get the most out of him or her and ask as many questions to them as possible? Uh, yeah, great question. And, and yes, absolutely. Um, communication is absolutely key. You want to be asking questions when, when they crop up um, to not only help yourself, but also help your accountant. Because if you can um, solve something in year at the time, it makes the whole process much more efficient. Um, if you come to it, you know, six months after the year end, you're trying to scratch your head and think, oh, what, what did we do there? What happened to that? So, yeah, absolutely. Be in, be in constant contact with, with your accountant. Most um, specialists will, will include that within the, the, the annual fee. Only if there's a specific additional piece of work, usually that they would um, charge extra. And then usually that would be uh, quoted for, hopefully, in advance. So you knew what you were letting yourself in for and, and were happy with that. Yeah. And obviously, our course is preparing you for that. So by the end of the course, uh, you will definitely be in a great position to take that role up. Uh, does anyone want to jump in and ask the question themselves? I'm a bit bored of my own voice. There's loads of great questions in the chat, but. I want to hear someone else's voice. So with practice income being from multiple sources now, Global Sum, Quaff, Enhanced Services, I'm interested to hear what other areas of income some practices have. So for us, we teach medical students and our training practice. We are also medical referees for cremation forms. Uh, Nick, have you seen other income streams for practices? Big question. Great question. Yeah, it is a great question um, because, yes, um, some of the, the top performing practices will have income from other sources if it is more profitable than what you're doing from the NHS sources. So obviously, again, that's about looking at the, the, the management information and the, um, the 
the costs of each different service. Some of the, um, I suppose, m- maybe the more common ones we've, we've seen will be uh, research. That's quite a, a good uh, lucrative one if you can get into, into research projects. You may be able to do some, some sort of em- employment work. So you might get yourself tied to a, a local um, business and do their employment checks school work you, you may be able to uh, um, attend schools and, and provide services to to the uh, to the pupils in in schools so i think yeah there are quite a number of of different sources of income it's about looking at the contract what income you're going to generate from that and 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 the uh, the, the the marginal profit that you would make because uh, to take up something you've got to give up something else really so uh, just looking at that um, at that differential is important yeah. Um, so I actually made a video inside the community. It's in the bonus section where I just listed as many alternative ways to boost your income that I could think of. And I covered quite a few, but someone has just popped one on the chat, which I didn't cover, which I love the sound of. So we have a project with a local asylum seekers guest house from the CCG, which is providing some income. So that add that one to the list. Uh, but there's a massive list inside the community it's kind of limitless. And I think what Nick just said is you've got to think about your resources and work out what the margins are on each one so that you can, if you have to drop something and you don't know how much, for example, your uh, implants and coils is making you, you know, you don't want to drop something that's making you money to take on something that's making you less, which is why it's important to just crunch those numbers, right, Nick? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I suppose, again, um, the numbers is an important starting point, but it may be that you have to look at the, the wider picture as well. And if, you, you know, if, if you've got different products and, and different work that you're doing, it might be more attractive to bring in you know, new, new staff, new GPs because yeah. of the variety of, of work. Yeah. In session two uh, of the course, uh, your co- as my colleagues, Andrew Burwood and Lizzie Lloyd talked about this in detail. So I just rewatched that session yesterday and I got some amazing ideas. It was, it was heavy going. They were in full flight, but we went through it a lot there. So maybe rewatch that in the session. Uh, somebody else has just thrown in one about research. So uh, we have a partner who runs and is in charge of research. It's quite a bit of work and they employ research nurses and they got problem projects from pharma, GSK, uh, so that's another one. Add that one to the list. So that is a great question. Now, I know why this question has come because in uh, your colleague, Andy, did Andy Powell did an amazing session on counts and he talked about fraud at the end of it. And I think everybody got a fright there because there was some ridiculous examples of fraud, which is rare, but does happen. And so somebody's asking, is it wise to have GP finance lead plus PM to have access to zero SAGE or to prevent fraud? So we're a bit obsessed with fraud in the course at the moment. It's Andy Powell's fault, but it's an important topic. So let's talk about it. It is absolutely very important. Um, Yeah. A a couple of things, I suppose, on that. Um, You want to make sure that you've got some internal controls in place so that it's not just one person that has control of the purse strings and also the recording of information. Um, so you need to be have a system in place where other people are authorizing payments being made and double checking that uh, that invoice is to a legitimate uh, business or that staff member is actually a staff member and so on. Um, so so that would be one thing in terms of internal controls. So. Uh, certain, certainly you could, you could have, uh, I mean, certainly with the cloud things, you can have as many people as possible with, with access. Um, you can have different authorization access as well. So some people can have read only, so they can just look at the information. Other people would be able to make changes to, to 
the information and input things. You can also isolate different areas of the package. So you could have the admin team able to put in sales invoices, but not look at the overall profit and loss and so on. So that's useful from that perspective. So that was from that. And then also in terms of uh, the management reporting that we're saying in the in-year stuff, if you're looking at things on a monthly basis, you, you'll, you'll spot things quicker. So those frauds will be spotted rather than six months after the year end when a big chunk of money's disappeared you might spot it within a very short period of time, a matter of days, weeks, months. Um, so important from that perspective, really, again. Yeah, that is a great question. And um, I think the different levels of access is a reasonably good you know, level of control, like read-only access and things like that. All right. I mean, that was an amazingly quick run-through. If anybody has got any more questions, either I'd love to hear someone else's voice other than mine and Nick. No offense, Nick. None taken. Getting a bit croaky, actually. Have a drink. Have a drink. Have a rest. Yeah, that was a, that was a really great summary. I think the main thing is, you know, not to be overwhelmed by this. You know, you can look at the accounts. You know how to look at the accounts now because we've we've taught you on the course, and just work it through line by line, and just have a look at where are you up, where are you down, and if you're up or down. Have a look at it. Have a chat with your accountant. Think about okay, how could we specify that service in a different way. So I gave the example of the hematology locally enhanced service and it's 95 pounds per patient. Now, if I spend an hour of GP time on that, it's probably not going to work, but instead we get our admin team to manage the invites and all of the, the backend stuff. Like as a GP, you should not be managing the invites. You should be doing the clinical stuff, but then getting your support staff to do the other stuff because you know the GPs are going to be the most expensive asset in the building and if they are doing things which are not suitable for them is not going to be profitable we've got another question How, how's your voice nick yeah it's good it's back okay we'll go go for another five <laughs> or ten minutes so can you explain how to plan the use of profit for other services to avoid paying tax and pension on this money now this is a great question because this in-year thing that you keep mentioning is the way to do this is, is that right yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. So you've got the in-year position. You know uh, what, what the actual position is for six months, nine months, and then you're projecting forward to the end of the accounting year. If you can see from that position that you've got uh, a surplus of profit over and above what you're expecting or what you're you're comfortable with withdrawing out, then you have the option to, to use that money to, to spend it on different services. So then what you do is you work out the cost of that service. We added on um, any on costs. So if it's, a, if it's a staff salary position, you add on the on costs and make sure you've got the full gross position. Then divide that between the, 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 the partners in terms of their, their profit shares. Then from that, you can deduct the savings that, that would happen because you're not making that high level of profit. You're saving that amount that you're going to spend on, on, a, on a project. So Whilst your profit has reduced, it also means that your pension liabilities, your contributions reduce, and also your tax liability reduces. So you factor that into that spreadsheet and you end up with a, a net cost per year, per month for each partner. Uh, and often that shows it to be far more palatable than um, that big, huge gross figure. Yeah, and I think that's my key take home from this because at Medics Money, 
Ed runs the, sh- the thing. And uh, we realized that it was a good time to buy some new microphones because of super deductions. So we bought that in year and that's optimized our tax position and meant that the cost of the microphones was a lot less than the, you know, the ticket price bank to super deductions and other stuff, which I don't really understand. Uh, and GPs can now do that in the same year and it's much more efficient. I love that. Right. What I'm thinking is I'm going to stop the podcast and say goodbye to our podcast listeners. And then let's just have a off not recorded free for all because I know people want to ask questions, but it's a bit intimidating to ask them in front of 20,000 people. And that is the benefit of the Medics Money course that we get to ask uh, questions of the experts in small groups. So bye-bye podcast listeners. So I hope that you found that useful. And if you do want to come on our new to GP partnership course, then head over to medicsmoney.co.uk forward slash GP course. And if you know a new GP partner that would benefit from the course, then please do tell them about it. I've also dropped some other resources, uh, podcasts and articles, which will really help new GP partners or any GP partner to make better financial decisions. And I've dropped them in the show notes below. So hopefully that's useful to you. Look forward to seeing you on the next podcast. And don't forget, if you like this podcast, tell your colleagues about it. We're all in this together and together we can each help each other to make better financial decisions. Look forward to catching you up on the next podcast.